Good morning, Tall Skulls. A little bit of an update. Um, turns out you can only vote once for the Road Podcast Challenge. Once per Google login, that is. So if you have multiple Gmail addresses, accounts, you can vote multiple times, but it does still have to be once a day. So log in with one the first day, use the one the next day. So regardless, if you do have the option to vote multiple times with different profiles, we would greatly appreciate it. If not, and you've already voted, great, awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to do it. We greatly appreciate it. Here's hoping we win. Workers and twerkers. Release your chattel to their verdant summer fields. Let the bonfire blessings kiss the land with gentle ash. And throw that booty back. Aw, oh, yeah, work it, work it, make it clap. I said gentle ash. Ash. <laughs> because it's time to talk tall to me. It's just, if you just want, celebratory. It's just say it's how we celebrate things. Say it with your booty. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tell to Me. A symbolic fire festival in the agricultural region of Prague Rock, in which Nick, bedecked with yellow flowers, and Omen, all greased up for the traditional May pole dance, will celebrate the early summer of Prague Rock band Jethro Tull. We will light a Barrymore bonfire, cavort with the Palmer Pagans, and raise a cup of sacred glasscock grog, praying the Prague gods will grant us with fertility. I'm feeling pretty fertile already, Nick. I just, I just want to grow corn and babies. I mean, I'm is that grow is that, that corn so hard? Oh, is that so much to ask? Did you get maypole dance? No, yeah, I got it. I got it. I maypole dance. I wasn't may. I wasn't sure if you would. Wouldn't that make it more difficult for you to dance around the maypole if you're greased up? <laughs> you wouldn't be able to hold on to that thing. You'd slide right off. Mm. Mm. The grease has a different purpose. Oh, someday I'll, I'll learn it's for the, the secret mosquitoes, ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. So, great. Nick, welcome. Oh, this is kind of a, a cool episode right now um, for, for a number of reasons, but it uh-huh. is the last track that we will be discussing within the album of Songs from the Wood. That's right. Only a single bonus track off of Songs from the Wood. Yeah. But before we get into said track, Indeed. how about we discuss what we are drinking? Nick, what are you drinking? As it is 11.21 in the morning, yeah. we're, we're both... We're both being uh, fairly lame, but respectably lame. Speak for yourself. Oh, fair enough. I do not know what is in your cup. It is just broken glass. I have just a really nice, warm mug of tea. Mm. I've got Harney and Sons Cinnamon Spice and Harney and Sons African Roibus. Oh. African Autumn, I believe it's called, with a little generic uh, green tea as well. Nice. That kind of green tea that you buy in the... The Chinese supermarket that, like, you can't read anything off of it. You just see that it's green tea. Sure, yeah. 
Yeah, we we inherited a box of of eighty green tea bags from Ray's mom. Wow, and uh, we're slowly chipping away at it. Nice. And you do you do love your rooibos? I love a I love a good rooibos. Supposedly, it's really good for asthma. First of all, yeah, it's antioxidant um, as well. And antioxidant. Thank anti- God. <laughs> I went through a rooibos phase in two thousand and six. That's generally when people do go through their rooibos phase. Yeah. I, I hear. And uh, I'm I'm drinking that specifically because I got my second jab yesterday. Yes. Congratulations, Holla. Nick. That's really exciting. Yeah, thank you. Everybody go out and get your vaccine, please. I know in, in some some countries it is nowhere near as accessible as it is in the States. Yeah. Thank you, Biden. In 100 days, you actually got shots in arms. Indeed. Amazing. But but be safe. Get your jabs. The I'm telling you the effects of the... Feeling the second one, nowhere near as bad as getting COVID. Yeah, and but you and you did have a little bit of a, a an effect from the second one. What were those symptoms? I did. I I a little sore. Yeah, a little achy, sore in the joints, as you would expect from like a flu. Sure. I had a monster migraine. Everyone I spoke to didn't say anything about migraines, and I think I've got a mild fever right now. I'm pretty warm. My head headaches pretty much gone. Achy in the joints. I'm going to take a nice soak after this. Nice. What were your effects? Yeah, you and Katie both got your two. We both as well. had we both had a temporary fever, a lot of aching. Yeah, pretty much like like a like a very like a very quick flu, like a very quick. Yeah, for us it was it was pro- a little bit more intense. I didn't have a headache. You guys got it at the same time, right? One day apart. Yeah. Oh, how was? Th- oh, were you? Was the first one recovered enough by the second one that you you could kind of take care yeah, of one another, much, or were you just much. like a a sad? pile of pancakes together on the couch <laughs> yeah no we playing we uh, animal crossing that's good as that's we good. do with our mental breakdowns mental breakdowns COVID shots yeah when you have a four-year-old you ju- sometimes you stagger your eating schedule yeah we, st- uh, we stagger our four-year-olds <laughs> we stagger four-year-olds we stagger our bowel movements yeah. uh, i stagger all, to my bowel movement <laughs> just can't you can't hold it in any so, longer that's what a, that's what a relationship is all about exactly. it's beautiful it's lovely nick I'm glad you asked Omen. me what I'm drinking. Yeah, what are you drinking, I Omen? will tell you. You said it is what time in the morning? Now it is 11.24 because we just rambled for three minutes. Well, but. this fine morning I'm drinking... Oh! A watermelon-flavored liqueur. Liqueur. Mm. Which translates to the cross, correct? It does. Because they, they, the people who make that seltzer just love Jesus. Yeah. Is that why? That's why, right? That's, that's why. Actually, no. They're I think French. That, I think that, They're French and they love Jesus. I think that it is named for a small Caribbean island. Yeah, I think we've had this discussion, actually. <laughs> so, Nick, with that out of the way. Yes. Do we have that's out of the way. anything to discuss before we move on to the song itself? We've got a couple of things. Last episode, we wanted to know... The number that Fire at Midnight had been played in concert. Right. Do you remember that? Do you remember your guess in terms of numbers? I think it was in the the like the five hundreds. You were you you guessed super high, yeah. How do you feel about being disappointed? I, I, I'm very used to it. <laughs> I'm I'm accustomed to that. Yeah. Uh, thirty. Thirty times. Thirty times. Yeah. That does make yeah. sense, though. Says the guy who guessed 500. But yeah, that makes more sense to me. The numbers are are really interesting. So we have one time in 77. 
And again, remember with setlist.fm, it's it's only what has been tracked. So yeah. I mean, there there could be some tweaking in in the numbers. But the first time was in '77 in Pasadena Civic Auditorium, California. Okay. They didn't play it again until '82. Wow. Yeah, 19 times in 82. And then we jump all the way to 2006 for one time, 2008 for one time, and then eight times in 2009. Interesting. All performances attributed to Tall, except for a single one to just Mr. Anderson himself. Interesting. I mean, you know, it is a song that probably... Yeah, I can imagine it wouldn't be a super appealing song to play in a concert setting. It's slow. It's on the it's on the mellower side. It's a song that for those who have like a really nice deep connection to it like you and I do, like I would be just floored to hear that in concert. Yeah. But if if it's not like a really powerful song for you, I could see as it see it as being a bit of a downer. Bit of a sleeper, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so not terribly surprising. Yeah. Okay, well great. Okay. Oh, it looks like that. I have some mail oh, here. We got we got something here. One second. Mary and Marley. Thank you so much, Mary. Oh, Mary, Mary. Wait, what's going on over there? Mary, um why don't why don't you have any clothes on, Mary? Oh. It's need Thursday. Oh. Um Did, First of all, it's Saturday, Mary. It is Saturday, yeah. It's need week. Okay. Oh, I mean, I th- I thought she was going for the whole like fertility May Day thing. I, but... I don't I don't know if it's related or not. Can you just um just point that somewhere else, please, if you don't mind, Mary? <sighs> Woof. Okay. Thank you, Mary. Marley just slunk in. There was I think there was a rat tail hanging out of his mouth, nice. so he couldn't speak. But he handed me my email as well. That's great. Yeah, we've got two pieces in relation to the most recent episode that dropped in terms of publishing schedule. We've got two pieces in correspondence to Jack and the Green, and we'll start with yours, Omen. Who do we have? We have some messages from the good doctor, Doc Savage. Oh, so this is in in relation to us discussing the... The Missile Thrush. The Missile Thrush, which is also called a Stormcock. Correct, yeah. Oddly, Stormcock is also the name of an album by Roy Harper, who has been mentioned previously by other correspondents. Or it's what happens when your bass player eats a curry that's too hot for him. <laughs> Ooh, never ever do I want that to happen. Loving your songs from the wood stuff. You may have overthought the last line of Jack and the Green, though. The Hollyberries simply don't want to be eaten. So are pleading with Jack to hold back the spring. The light that brings the migratory bass player with IBS. And I've always thought Jack accedes to their wish and shuts everything down. I think that makes quite a lot of sense. That's right. We were talking about the missile thrush being uh, a migratory bird. So when the spring comes, it will fly back and then consume those berries. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense in terms of the abruptness that that song ends with. Yeah, it does. Get me out of the the view of the missile thrush and the listener. Stormcock, yeah. yeah. Continuing, Cup of Wonder is one of my very favorite JT songs. Singing it used to be a bit of a party piece of mine in my long gone youth. I am eagerly looking forward to next week's edition. My very best wishes, Doc Savage. Now, there was a little bit of a, a back and forth here. Nick, you wrote, brilliant note on that last line. We will assuredly discuss it. To which the doctor wrote 
an absolute slew of words. I don't know about brilliant, Nick, but thank you. In truth, I merely wanted to say how much I enjoyed the episode and the one on Songs from the Wood. I think you and Omen pretty much nailed it. But if you did want to run with the idea of the sudden end of the song, meaning Jack shutting everything down, then it darkens the song considerably, doesn't it? Mm. As a rule, momes don't read forward, but I think you might have to with Songs from the Wood, Heavy Horses, and Stormwatch. Inasmuch as they are all responses to the British countryside and what's happening to its various facets, they do form a connected trilogy. Mm-hmm. And they do get progressively darker. Yeah. Songs is a relatively chipper album. It is earthy in the best way. Drink flows, people get laid, there are warming fires, Christmas is celebrated. The Whistler tells us that black were the nights on summer day sands. But it also promises good things and joy. Peabroke signals a different mood, though where the narrator is excluded from the warmth and must walk away, perhaps, the slightly more foreboding world of heavy horses, with its premonitions of moths burning up and oil barons running dry and a semi-mystical weathercock fighting off the dark forces, which leads us to the climate apocalypse of Stormwatch, where something is on the move, and it's not a good thing for the future of humanity. Which brings me back to the idea of a powerful little nature sprite like a jack-in-the-green simply turning everything off because the fairies don't want to be eaten by the stormcock. Am I reading too much into it all? Possibly. There was no way Ian could have known he was going to move to the Isle of Skye and buy a salmon farm and respond to the natural world up there when he was writing songs. But, looked at proleptically, I think there is a definite trajectory of Ian's vision of the British countryside first being despoiled and then fighting back. And Jack in the Green is the first straw in the wind of a long winter's fall that destroys everything in Dark Ages. Too much? Yeah, probably. And of course, since you record roughly an album ahead, I wouldn't be surprised if you've already covered it. Ideas for general discussion, though, if you haven't. Spring has been lovely here in southern England. Jack has done his work well this year. I hope the same can be said for New York State. Doc Savage. Thank you, Doc Savage. Jack's been a little slow on the uh, on the uptake here. He's been on and off. He's he's sort of yeah. uh, been un- non-committal. Whoever's responsible for snow and and cold weather has been working overtime. Yeah, definitely working overtime. Yeah. Gosh, I would love that Ian thought this out. That the move to the country in Songs from the Wood was. It was still the honeymoon phase, so it was happiness. Mm. It was it was his his enjoyment, his experience. And then when we get to Heavy Horses, Heavy Horses is about the the plight of the the working horse that they don't use them anymore. Right. They start using tractors, and it's modernification. It's the progress, quote unquote, progress of machine and farm and everything like that. That we see that's that stepping stone, and then that therefore leads into. Like you said, that climate crisis that we see in Stormwatch, I would love to think that he thought all of that through, but I, I do think it's more of his experiences of the kind of the honeymoon phase. I think you're right. Ending. On that. That's that's actually exactly what I was going to say, that it has, I think, less to do with changes that are actually happening in the world and more with his experience of perceiving those changes. Yeah. I think you I think you hit it right on the head of the nail. Your drill bit was your screwdriver was firmly locked into the Phillips divot. 
See, if you had said, I feel like you hit that firmly on the head, it's implied that I'm hitting the nail on the head. It, it, is, a, it is a common phrase, so you didn't need to elaborate that. That nail is truly being hit on the head. With the hammer in your hand. By someone. All of this is metaphorical, of course. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Reading between the lines with English. So, Nick, with all of that out of the way, do we have the ability now to move on to the song of the day? We do not. We've got one more. We've got a little technical side of things with our resident musician, Joe. The minstrel in the gallery. Joe chimes in via Instagram. They are stylists. They're very overtly concerned with the uh, image. Okay, and remember, this is in reference specifically to Jack in the Green. He says, you shouldn't have doubted yourself. It's totally an effect on Ian's voice. Mm. Sounds like reverb to me, but it could be a light delay. I'm also fairly sure that the mandolin comes in right away. The single note runs sound more like a mandolin to me than acoustic guitar. As for the math, unlike the title track, which was so loaded with meter changes that even if I were to spend the time and effort to break it down, it would only result in an endless stream of numbers that would bore everyone to tears, (laughs) Jack in the Green is somewhat more manageable. The cool thing about it is that it's mostly in threes, with a fair few two counts thrown in for good measure. The result is a song that maintains an easy triplet pulse, even with some subtle trickery seasoning the stew. The main pattern in the verse is a measure of six, followed by a two count, and then another measure of six. Ultimately, this makes it a 4-4, but the way it's subdivided gives it a triplet swing. Ian's very fond of this trick, as we've seen it several times before. Obscuring it further, he occasionally adds a beat, making it a nine count. Ah. Which is bonkers, that math. The Jack Do You Never Sleep bridge is more consistent. It's two counts of six, followed by a count of nine, as you do. I'd wager that by now they were writing naturally in exotic time with little to no thought during the process. Mm. A meter is a meter is a meter. The odd ones only sound strange to us because they are uncommon in our culture. If one were to listen to, say, pop music from India, you'd find a lot more of it. There we go. Yeah, that's great. It's, It's so good to have this perspective. And it does sound very natural, I think, that both because they are now used to playing in this kind of composite meter and because... Mm-hmm. We, as the listeners of Tull, have gotten more used to it. Right. As foreign as it may be to us, still in some regards, we are, I think we're getting to, even if we can't say, oh, well, that's obviously two sets of three or whatever, we we can notice when he is really playing with those numbers and the meter placement. And to Joe's point, you know, in other cultures, in other musical traditions, there is a lot more, there's a lot of diversity and variety in terms of meters if you really want to give your brain a stretch mathematically listen to some gamelan music from the island of bali teeny tiny final piece just this past week in terms of when we record this we lost a great 
reference to Tull, uh, Michael Collins died, Astronaut, passed away just this past week. The, the, the man who manned the orbiting shuttle on the first lunar landing mission, who orbited... Didn't get to go to the moon, yeah. Orbited the Earth, I think, 20 times or something while the other two astronauts were yeah. on the moon. Often called the loneliest man in... Ever in the universe, I think, right? In the uni- yeah. loneliest man in the universe, yes. Although he has stated, he stated in an interview that I heard on the BBC that they were playing sort of in memorial for him that mm-hmm. that he didn't feel alone during those orbits. He really felt connected yeah. and and vital to the mission that was happening on the moon below him. But he also didn't. He also go around the dark side of the moon too, when he, which is when he lost all contact with everyone. Yeah, not. I think that yeah. there was like seven minutes of just complete radio silence. Yes, like twenty times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that just remarkable, amazing. Uh, I had a, a handful of of you guys reach out and and yeah. let me know that that happened, and uh, it's a great loss. And we, I mean, as as silly as it sounds, we genuinely do have. Tall to thank for us knowing yes. who Michael Collins is, and we have we have a lot to thank Michael Collins for too. And you know, to probably slightly misquote something that he said just uh, on Instagram, just a just a day or so before he died, he said, "I believe that if everyone had the opportunity to see the Earth rise above the moonscape as I did, that everyone would recognize what a fragile, unique." existence we have and that in his words every day would be earth day because i think he posted that on Earth. yeah so that sounds right yeah wonderful perspective and uh, a loss and we we honor we honor him at this moment yeah thank you for what you did michael collins so nick with that yeah shall mm-hmm. we dive into today's song absolutely a very apt song for today as we are in fact recording on the day that this song is about, the song is Beltane. Let's have a listen. Nick McGill. Oh, what? Did I sneak up on you? I got lost in the trance that is Beltane, and uh, you did. I forgot yeah. where we were. You were lost in the Beltane sauce, Nick. That, that's... Just dip dip me in and consume me with the rest of the fries. So there we have Beltane. Yeah. Our singular bonus track off of the Songs from the Wood release. Yes, this is just for covering our butts' sake. This is not off of the Steve Wilson release. This is actually off of the 40th anniversary re-release, which is two different things. Thank you for that clarification. There is also a little bit of lack of clarity in general in terms of the providence of this song and That's where true. it properly belongs. Mm-hmm. It hovers in a in a bit of mysterious no man's land here. As it should. I, I think so. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Apparently it was first released on an album in 1988 on a 20 Years of Tull album. Mm-hmm. And it came along with the line, an unreleased track that did not make it onto the Heavy Horses album, recorded at Maison Rouge Studios, London in 1977. Right. So it is really between Heavy Horses and Songs from the Wood. Yeah, there's just because it's 
a bonus track off of this album doesn't mean it was necessarily meant to be on this album. Right. And it does have a lot of elements that I think make it a great bridge between the two albums. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, it really spans. It connects the two. The content is is super songs from the wood. But the sound, instrumentation and Ian's particular voice where he's doing that kind of gruff voice again, which we heard a, a little bit in songs from the wood, yes. is totally heavy horses. It's more typical of heavy horses. And the flavor of it in general is a little bit darker, which mm. is more more in the vein of Heavy Horses. You know, the Songs from the Wood, as we said the other week, is one of those brighter albums. You know, Ian has said that it kind of goes, in terms of the albums, it, uh, it often goes light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. Yeah, yeah. This has a darker sound to it. Sure, sure. Coming from Too Old, Dark, Songs from the Wood, Light. Light! Heavy Horses, Dark, Stormwatch, Crazy Dark. So he skips the light, dark, light, but but we get the general yeah. idea. It's it's the the culmination of the of the trio, the unintended trio. Yeah, it's it's like Shakespeare. It's not perfect iambic pentameter all the time. There are a couple of trochies thrown in there. Just for giggles. Put that in your English pipe major and light it up. <laughs> that was quite the jumble. <laughs> I just wanted to say one other thing in terms of its providence and its interaction with the world. It was also released on a single in Ireland, the mm. other side of which was Life is a Long Song. What? Wow. No one expected that one. <laughs> but unfortunately, I don't have a date for that. Yeah. Well, it would have to be after... This album, Songs from the Wood, came out, question mark, if not Heavy Horses. Probably even, yeah, probably later. Yeah, who knows what the ruling is behind when to release a song in a specific geographic location, no matter how old the song is, in terms of a single. Like, sure, let's yeah. put Life's a Long Song out there. Why not? It's weird. Yeah. It's so weird to think about that. So I, I, I'm looking in this... Jethrotoll.progborgs.com mm-hmm. uh, listing. Okay. And there's there's a lot of fierce debate about it. One person is basically saying, you know, this doesn't sound like it's from that era. It sounds like it's really like solidly in the in the 80s. Mm. And they say, there is virtually no sign of either John Evan nor certainly not Dee Palmer. It does not sound like Barrymore whatsoever. And I would not be surprised if it's actually a drum machine. To which someone else replies a little bit later, Are you high? <laughs> All capitals, I'm assuming. No, just with a with a, an, an interrobang afterwards. Oh, okay. Proper usage of the interrobang. I, I appreciate them for that. But it wouldn't be a forum discussion without someone accusing someone else of being either a Nazi or high. So, I mean, that fits the bill. Or a high Nazi. Or a high Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. Nine. What are your thoughts on Beltane? I don't think we've ever actually discussed this amongst ourselves. Yeah, we haven't. So Beltane is one of those ones that I really heard later. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I I think I heard it before we started this journey, but maybe only once or twice. Okay. And the thing about it that stuck out to me when I listened to it, you know, this past week, is that incredible guitar hook. Yeah. Martin Barr has so many iconic hooks. Yes. 
Right. And this one is just so exemplary of what an incredible creative guitarist he is. He creates this powerful riff that just gets in your head and sticks there. If you think of anything for Beltane, it's that. Followed yeah. closely by with the flute in the back. Yeah, yeah, the conversation between the two of them is really exciting. Mm-hmm. But for me, that's what stands out about the song more than anything else. I think that, you know, the lyrics, not that they're poorly written or anything, they're great, but they don't have as much of an effect on me mm-hmm. as the music does in this case. And maybe that's because some of the themes that are covered in it are kind of covered in other songs. Sure, right. You know, it doesn't it's not groundbreaking in that regard for me, although I do love the imagery. Oh, it's it's super poetic and beautiful, but yeah, like you said, content-wise, it's like we've heard it before. We're celebrating a, a pagan holiday. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Cup of Wonder remix part 2. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Cup of Wonder, what's the other one? Well, Solstice Bells, not about Beltane, but... Yeah, but but still, in that feeling of of the holiday, acknowledging the pagan holiday and and celebrating it. Despite the drug-addled person who said that there was no trace of either Dee Palmer or John Evan, Mm -hmm. I think the organ does an amazing job, especially in the middle part, of lifting the tension Mm. toward a brighter end of things before we get dropped down into the riff again. Sure. A happy old new day till you and your sons up for one more day till we shall play it out gladly be a card marked again. In concert with Ian's flute, not playing an identical part, but playing roughly at around the same time. There's also sax in there to kind of add more flavor and texture to that portion when that flute comes in. Yeah. It's it's an interesting combination, the way that they do it. I always add a little bit of saxophone to my broth to just to bring out the texture. and It's a secret ingredient. You don't taste it. You don't taste it, but it, but once I tell you it's there, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that that is saxophone, yeah. The bass in this bad boy? Yes. Woof. So bassy. It's right as the deadly spin. so substantially bassy like it is i mean it's it's up there in in terms of potency where i think the guitar lick is almost at at times like it's it's there it's very bass forward that's one of the things that i really admire about john glasscock and i really mourn the fact that we didn't get more of him Mm -hmm. because he is such an extraordinary bassist he knows when to provide a counterpoint he knows when to just provide a structure for the song and he knows when to play the melody or play harmony on the melody which is very unusual and when he does come forward it is so powerful you know it yeah yeah it's not one of those like like pity okay let's give jeffrey a moment with the bass and it's like boom 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 boom. right like john (laughs) john knows what he's doing and he kicks down the door with his bass like it oh it's so good. And it's so unexpected. It's like it's like when you see a really big, hefty, meaty drag queen do like incredible footwork and then a death drop. You're like, you know, looking at that person, I don't imagine them being able to move so fluidly and so gracefully. And then bam, Shantae, you stay. And that's on you for assuming that, Omen. That is on me. Yeah. It's all over me. Uh, it's death dropped onto you. There is... 
in the breakdown section, we get a lot. Mm. We, there's a lot going on. Yeah, it's not an overextended breakdown, but there's a lot going on in there for the time that we have it. Everybody kind of jumps in and shows their face, as it were. Mm-hmm. Which we're accustomed to hearing this album in particular, yeah. But this is a little more rowdy than a lot of the stuff off of Songs from the Wood. That's also what makes it feel a little mm. a little more in the heavy horse's vein because mm-hmm. there's something very tightly organized about Songs from the Wood. It has a lot of impulse. It has a lot of drive. Yeah. But it's, it's pretty well maintained in terms of coloring within the lines. And that's not to say that it's not energetic because there's a lot no, of power driving energetic. a lot of the songs. But this is, I think, something that... I mean, as long as we're making the list of what sets this apart, like this is a lot heavier. Yes. It's a little splashier. Yeah. That's what gives us that rowdy feel as opposed to like a performative clipped quick performance. Right. Like, like Velvet Green. That's not Velvet Green. That's Hunting Girl. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) <laughs> I, I hereby tender my resignation. Yep. Sorry, everyone. It's just going to be me from now on. Yeah. There's also a fun thing happening in the breakdown where we get exposed to a different sound of Martin's guitar. There, It sounds mm. like there are at least two different filters, maybe two different pedals. Sure. Heck, maybe even two different guitars. <laughs> Dare we say it? I, we may. We might. You know, in the beginning, we have the... Yeah. Right. So we have that. And then in the breakdown, we have this much more kind of shreddy guitar playing. Well, that, but there's also some middly meings. And it's it's nice. It's nice to hear that kind of like, you know, it's the the multi, the different sides of Martin. Mm-hmm. So many sides. Multifaceted, that Martin. He's like the god Janus. One, mm. one face of his is looking toward the past. The other is looking toward the future. And the middle face is shredding the guitar. Martin, multifaceted bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some lovely Mellotron adjacent Ian Harmony mm, singing. Mm-hmm. The la la la's in there. Yeah. I think it's at the wind up of that breakdown. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Always nice to hear. We love that. Yep. Ian has exported the work to the keyboard. Yeah. Like I've, I've sung enough laws in my day. I think we can reproduce this. Yeah. I wonder if they did that. I wonder if they were able at that, you know, this was right at the, at the transition point when synth was starting to become more of a developed art form. Yeah, not just not just analog, but they probably had a lot of digital at this point too. I wonder, I wonder really where that transition point started to happen. I mean, definitely by A, it's it's clear. Oh my god. Yeah. And I think even in Stormwatch, we're starting to hear it more and I wonder if this is like Sure. You know, I wonder if they were starting to fool with it at this point or if it was literally just him in the studio being like I will now sing Laws take 1, Laws take 2. 
Part three. I'll sing up a half step and... Yeah. John Evans, stop fiddling your fingers. You're throwing off my laws. <laughs> John had to leave. They asked him to leave at out, that point. Out, everyone out. Oh, Ian. Omen. <laughs> yeah, Nick. What is Beltane? I think we've touched oh. on this and we've gotten some writer inners in terms of, I think it was probably Doc Savage scolding you for mistaking Beltane and Mayday well, for Cup of Wonder. Yeah. But, well, but, actually, actually, my mistake was to say that Mayday was the spring equinox. Mm, mm. Beltane and Mayday are, in fact, one and the same. Oh, that yes, that's what it is. Yeah. But they are not the spring equinox. They are kind of midway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. Mm. Beltane is a Gaelic word for the holiday, mm -hmm. and it is kind of the beginning of summer. Yeah, it's the pagan new year. It's the pagan new year, yeah. It's yeah. held around the 1st of May or on the 1st of May, and it is the other side of the calendar from Samhain, mm -hmm. or what we know as, as Halloween. And just to caveat here when i say pagan it's lowercase p so think generic old world religion pagan druidic however you want to encompass that feeling i don't i don't know official we could really throw a, a broad net here and say yeah. pre-christian right yeah any semblance of religion and culture that worships and appreciates the earth as opposed to a fairy being in the sky well they they appreciate those too but it's a different one sure Sure. <laughs> and especially in terms of Celtic culture, you know, there's a lot of writing in Irish literature uh, about this holiday. It was also known as Ketsamen, mm. or the first of summer. Okay. And it was also the point at which cattle were driven out to their summer pastures. So it's, you know, it's, it's good to remind ourselves that the first of summer or the, you know, the middle of summer or whatever, in this case, the first of summer, isn't just some arbitrary date where it's like, oh, I should get my linen shirts out of storage. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a date to work toward for your abs. It has major implications in terms of life because right. of how connected to agriculture these cultures were. Yeah, absolutely. When you didn't have much of a calendar, you set up your holidays based on when really monumental things happened that would keep your life going, essentially. Yeah, and the the timing of these things are really important. I mean, you know, at this, if you let your cows out too early, let's say, they're going to eat up all the greens in their early stages, mm -hmm. and then there's not going to be enough for later. Right. If you wait until this point, there will still be a lot of good nutrients in those fields, but they'll be robust enough to be able to sustain your cattle. Yes, yeah, it's they, if they shear the grass down, it's not going to die. It'll just grow back. Exactly. Yeah. So there were a lot of rituals performed regarding cattle. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also, you know, it's important to remember that this is... We talked a little bit about, in Solstice Bells, we talked about Yule mm -hmm. and how that is a, a moment when the light is at its lowest in the world. And so you have to maintain that light through the symbolic burning of a Yule log you know, it is your job to maintain the light through the dark times. Mm -hmm. This is when the light is bursting forth in all of its, in the zenith of its strength, or it's on the upswing. Yeah. So there are other fire rituals around Beltane. Because the fire represents the sun, which is 
coming back in full force from the winter, colder, rainier months. Exactly. And so you want to take this young, strong sun and preserve it. So what right. one of the things that was done was a special bonfire was lit. And there was both a practice of wafting the smoke and ashes across things that you wanted to prosper. So in some cases, they would actually collect the ashes and rub it over the cattle or have the make sure that the smoke blew on the fields that were growing or in some cases have the, the cows literally jump over the embers. Sounds a bit dangerous, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Anything for a healthy herd. But they would also have everyone at home douse their home fires mm. and then relight them with the flames from the Beltane fire. Yeah. In that act, you are... You're putting a little bit of your your trust in nature or the gods or whatever, because generally you don't want that home fire to really go out. Absolutely. So to, so to actively put it out, to extinguish it, just so you can bring that sun's fire representation back into your home, you are trusting whatever powers are in play here to make sure that you can get that fire restarted. Absolutely. It's also putting a lot of faith in your community, you know, mm. if if to build that fire properly. Absolutely. If it's made a Jimmy's job to build the fire and and, you know, you send your youngest out to bring the torch home, you know, it, it, everything has to go well. Yeah. I haven't trusted Mayday Jimmy since the uh, the Maypole debacle, though. So, yeah, he's going to get clean one of these days. I hope so. He says he is, but I'm not seeing much progress. <laughs> His Jack in the Green dance is a little lopsided. <laughs> it's a little hitching his giddy up, but we'll get there. That's right. So, Nick, those are some of the rituals that mm -hmm. go along with Beltane. It mm -hmm. all has a lot to do with fertility and and harnessing the the sun at its upswing. Yes, right. And embracing and honestly just being excited for the coming summer that will bring light and warmth and life to the things that will sustain you. So your your crops, your your herds, etc. Yeah. So I don't think, like you said, I don't think we necessarily need to get into like every line. We we kind of get the gist of this song, but it is so beautifully poetic. I would like to point some things out that really, really speak to me in, in terms of imagery. Please do. One of the things that makes me feel that this song is so songs from the wood mm. is the couplet of there's a snap in the grass behind your feet and a tap upon your shoulder and the thin wind crawls along your neck it's just the old gods getting older there's a snap in the grass behind your feet and the tap upon your shoulder and the thin wind crawls along your neck it's just the old gods getting older Nick, that line literally gives me chills. Oh, it's so beautiful. And it's it harkens like directly to Jack in the Green for me. Yeah. Because Jack in the Green was all about nature's happening all around you, whether you're driving in your car or sitting in your 10th story skyscraper office, whatever. Right. But Jack is still pushing green through the through the sidewalk or something like that. And and right. That's that's what this is. Like you could be walking through the woods and you might get a chill and hear like a stick snap behind you and you think, oh, just like 
a stick fell or or the wind rustled in the breeze and something broke. But really, you could also attribute it to these old gods, to this the creators of the magic that is happening around you. doesn't matter what you think. Guess what? The old gods are doing all of this. You know, and I, I think you're totally right. And I think that for... For our British listeners, maybe this is something that they have experienced. I think as Americans, we sometimes forget how young our perspective is as a country and as a culture. Mm. When you are in Britain, and I think we've talked about this before, when you're in the British Isles or anywhere in Europe, anywhere where civilization has existed for literal thousands of years in an unbroken string, whereas here we had thousands of years of civilization that were then completely wiped out and then replaced entirely by Western civilization. Yeah. In England, you have actual objects that date back to the time of these old gods. Yeah, that have been around that long. Yeah. Right, and so there are all these little reminders, and, and there are all these festivals. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, oh, here's a May Day festival, and it's, you know, you, you can think like, oh, yes, this is just this, the sort of thing that we do, but if you stop and think about it, as Ian did with the aid of some of these books, mm-hmm. You realize this is going back to traditions that have been played out on this land for hundreds of generations. Yeah. To the passing observer, like, oh, it's cute and it's novel and it's a little anachronistic and archaic and arcane. But these celebrations, these festivals were so much more than... The capitalist Christmas, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There was definitive magic and reason behind these things. Yeah. Can we talk about the line, have you ever loved a lover of the old elastic truth? That was the next one that I wanted to talk about. I, oh. Have you ever loved a lover of the old elastic truth? That's one of my favorite bits of writing in definitely in this song and and it's one of those lines that that just makes me love Ian as a writer it's so good Mm. I take that like what is what is the old elastic truth what is that what does that mean for me okay what is something when it's elastic something is elastic when it can stretch Mm -hmm. and then return to its shape sure it can bounce back from change almost yeah exactly so for me the old elastic truth is a truth that is able to withstand the changing world around it and mm-hmm. and also stretch from the dawn of time to the present. Amazing. Perfect. And that fits in with everything we were just saying. It also makes me think of like, there's there's a bit of a sexual connotation. It's like, pagans do it better, you know? <laughs> They're like, uh, you haven't been with a real man until you've been, until you've made love in a stone circle. Like... Something not, you know, there's something, there's something sexy about it. And that is elastic truth to you? Maybe a rubber truth. Maybe. No, but have you ever loved a lover of? It's like, have you ever been with someone who isn't, who is connected Mm. to these ancient divine energies? It's not saying you need to be. It's not saying that you are as, as the listener, as the addressee, but you can still be like once removed, but still experience this. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Or once you experience it, you'll never want anything else. Oh, yeah. Once you go hairy, unbathed druid, you'll never go back. Once you go Wiccan, don't want any other dickin'. <laughs> sure, yeah. Did I break my co-host? No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm used to it at this point. Same stanza, 
Also about love, just a beautiful line, really, and taken up the cause of love for the sake of argument. I've taken up the cause of love for the sake of argument. I just think that's mm. that's poetically beautiful. It's kind of uncharacteristically Ian a little bit. It's I mean, I think mm. it's saying that like, look on the bright side, fight for love regardless. You know, if someone's trying to be negative or or put stuff down or or be hateful or hurtful, y- you take up that the side of love. Have you ever done that? Because once you take up the side of love, you'll never go back. Well, and to take it to take up the cause of love is more than defending it arbitrary you know defending it in yeah in, in a discussion it it almost reminds me of the knights and the the mm-hmm. days of chivalry when you would as a knight take up the cause of something which meant like right dedicating the seven years <laughs> yeah of battle to it taking up the banner of it almost you take a vow you take an oath you are the paladin of love and you will spread it and you, if you have to use your sword to spread love, then so be it. That's what they used to call me, Nick, the paladin of love. That's, uh, yep. <laughs> the last stanza has something that I want to kind of bring it back to, to what you said earlier, making the comparison to Jack and the Green. Before we get there, can we just oh, yeah. do the next line, the start of the next line? It's a really lovely call to the fact that this is the new year. Happy old new year to you and yours. Just again, it's a little poetic. It's it's a nice play and a nice way to encompass the feeling of of this song. It's celebratory. It's technically the new year, but it's not the new year that we're used to. It's not the new new year. It's the one that's been going on for thousands of years. And all this song serves as a reminder, doesn't it? It's sort of a hey, let's have a glance toward the old ways that are still with us and that have been here long before any of us thought of anything else. Yeah, let's appreciate that. So last stanza, something Jack in the Green. Oh, yes. Well, yeah, definitely a Jack in the Green reference here. So the last stanza, yeah. Have you ever walked around your parks and towns so knife-edge orderly while the fires are burned on the hills upturned in a far-off wild country? Have you walked around your parks and towns so knife-edge So already we start to have this feeling of the contrast between the neat orderly society that we've created with the nice straight lines and the wild, twisting, spiralic kind of time and existence that existed in in ancient civilizations. Hmm. And there's a there's a direct comparison to Jack and the Green and the image of but can these changing times motorways power lines keep us apart? Well, I don't think so. Right. So then then that's what we get. So so you know in the in Jack and the Green he says, "Well, I don't think so. I saw some grass growing through the pavement today." You never sleep Does the green still run deep in your heart? Oh, oh. will these changing times Motorways, power lines Keep us apart? Oh, oh. Well, I don't think so 
Here, we have, as the green man comes around with his walking cane of sweet hazel, brings it crashing down. As the green man comes around With his walking cane of sweet hazel Brings it crashing down so I feel like this is like Jack and the Green and the Green Man of this stanza are maybe the same figure, but at different mm. times of the year. Sure. Jack and the Green is when you're going on a walk in late winter, even even February or March. And, you know, you you can remember this from Upstate New York, I'm sure. When you're going on a walk in the snowy fields and you you kick through to the bottom of the snow and you mm-hmm. see that there's green grass underneath there. Yeah. Or even when you see like, oh, yeah, it's it's cold, but like you can still see a little bit of green in the buds. For me, that's Jack in the Green. It's like, oh, yeah, it's that little guy just fighting to preserve that green through the winter. Yep. He's reminding you that life is to come stick through the winter. Come on, you can do it. I've got green to show you. As soon as yeah. the thaw happens, yeah. It's sort of, you know, the perseverance of fighting through all odds. And here, Jack in the Green has gotten himself a gym membership. He's drinking protein shakes every day. He's yeah. pumping, pumping the iron berries, and he is here to kick your butt. Because it's now the upswing of the year. It's the the sun is blazing down with all its, its heat, mm-hmm. and Jack in the Green is bringing his hazel twig, now his, his walking cane, bringing it down on you. So why is he... The, so the imagery of him, like, hitting your knuckles with that thin stick, is that just, like, there's so much greenery, there's so much life and plant and nature that it's just like a barrage? I think it is. It demands your attention. Yeah. But I also think that there's... It's summed up, or it's... We have the answer in, well, it's just your growing pains. Groaning. It's just your groaning pains. I think it's it's talking about... That urge that we feel when early summer is bursting out all mm, around us mm-hmm. and you feel it inside you. Yeah. You just want to take your shoes off and go run in a field for two hours. Do you remember in grade school when, you know, classes would be almost until or maybe even into the early June? They'd definitely be through through April. Sure. And, and May. And you'd be sitting in a classroom with the teacher droning about chemistry or mathematics and the windows would be open because it was hot yeah and you would smell the fresh cut grass Mm -hmm. coming through the window and it was just impossible to sit there and you just felt like being i mean i'm sure that there were times when i literally let out a groan the pain of not being outside yeah fresh cut grass does that to me today still does that to me that smell is heavenly but I think that's what the impulse is that Ian was writing from here. It's that sense of when you are in the midst of all that, the force of nature, mm-hmm. it calls to you on the inside and it demands to be worshipped in a way. If if, yeah. if your version of worshipping it is to go and lay in the park with a shandy and a, and a friend or to go dance the maple or to go jump over the, the Beltane fire, you know, it's there within you. Yeah, there's a primitive drive in humanity, I think in a lot of people, whether they acknowledge it or recognize it or not, I think there's a primitive drive to to respond to nature in in almost 
almost an animalistic way of like, oh, I just, I just need to be out there. I just need my bare feet in that grass. I mean, at least there is for me. Maybe in an animalistic and maybe in an animistic type of way. Sure. Absolutely. I think they're, they're one in the same. And I think particularly with this song and the culture that we're exploring with paganism, Wiccan, Druid, whatever, like, of course, animistic. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, but it reminds me of the Japanese concept of shinrinyoku, mm. mm-hmm. shinrinyoku, which is uh, forest bathing. Yeah, and there there have been, which literally is like taking a walk in the forest and and being really conscious of it while you're mm-hmm. doing it and mm-hmm. bathing yourself in the experience of the forest. And there have been medical studies which have shown that you know proximity to green space and engagement with green space can lower stress and blood pressure yeah in people to an enormous degree it's I believe really it, yeah. essential yeah and i think that's not i think we need to take a step back and realize that that's that's not indicative of the healing power of nature that's right. indicative of the destructive power of what we have made our society like we're not supposed to be like this we're not supposed to work right 50 60 hours a week go home and sleep and get up and do it again you know that's not healthy it's not good yeah we're meant to be running through the forest with our pants down yeah hunting with our spear and our spear yeah (laughs) finally the the final line Come a a bell tang for it, it that repeats for like I would say almost like thirty seconds. I don't know the actual number, but that goes on for quite some time. And I, I joked at the beginning, right after we listened to it, that like there's a a, a trance like feel to that where mm. it, it it gets it repeats it gets so repetitive of the exact same sound over and over and over that on one side you're like okay i get it come on beltane we're excited let's okay we don't have to do this but then when you think about it in terms of the religious feel the the ritualistic feel chants help you get into a specific mind space they help you release things and and focus your mind and kind of go away you know it's the it's the om mani padme om of beltane yeah or or cure eleison in the catholic church Mm. yeah i love keurig eleison it's delicious (laughs) my god (laughs) there is almost a sense of conjuring it in this yes yeah yeah summoning a chanting you're sitting around a circle and you're summoning a nature spirit as you chant its name Yeah, yeah sure i get it and in that same way, giving yourself to it. Yes, absolutely. You got to give a little bit of yourself to get to your end goal. It's like when the Dixie Chicks conjure the cowboy in Cowboy Take Me Away. Mm. They're just the chicks now, I believe. And they are, yeah. They, drop they still the, the conjure Dixie. the cowboys. They sure do. Those they chicks. conjure my heart as well. Oh, well, that's sweet. I said, cowboy, take me Anything else to say about Beltane? I'm done. I think we got that. Oof. 
Uh, what are we doing next week? Oh my gosh, Omen. What are we doing next week? Next, Nick Knock. Nick Knook. How do you act? Don't use my real name. <laughs> oh no, he's he's gone back to his dimension. <laughs> next week, Nick, we have an exciting transition. Mm. We are moving on to the next album. That's right. Yes, indeed. The next album is galloping toward us heavily, heavily, heavily. galloping. It is Heavy Horses. And what's the first track off of Heavy Horses? I believe it's the Mouse Police. Mm, they never sleep. Is that correct? That it is, yeah. Okay. Well, until next week, Nick. Mm-hmm. I suggest that you take the ashes of this podcast and rub them all over your cattle. And if you don't have a cattle, your dog will do. Mm. Yep. Did do you want to work that into a, a a plug for a review or just got nothing? No. Nope. Okay. Okay. <laughs> The brightest and most efficient way of honoring the sun as we go into the summer is to leave five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can be a patron of summer for nothing, and you can also be a patron of us, Talk Tell to Me, by going to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash me. That's right. You can rub the ashes of... No, I got nothing. Attempt to. No, nothing? Okay. Until next week, I am the smoldering fire that is Nick McGill. I am the doused log that is Omen Said. We are the ash-rubbed cattle that is Feckless Momes. And this is the chant that is... Talk tall to me, 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 talk tall to me. Hey, Jimmy. Jimmy, over Hey, Dad. Over here, over here. Now, Beltane's right around the corner, and we've got this big old pile of ashes. There's we, a butterfly! Oh my no, god! No, Jimmy, focus, I'm focus. Oh god, sorry, Jimmy, sorry, focus, sorry. focus. The cattle. Yeah. It's yeah. our family's turn this year to rub okay. the cattle with ashes. Do we? You wanna rub them like this? Oh, mm, ah, I, e, oh, I, rub it down, yeah, and I, throw it back. I think we I think we're we're going for something a little more sedate, a little more um respectful. Right? Okay, okay. Um how about this one? I got this one. Mayday rub it. Oh we rub it, yeah. Uh, put Jimmy, put your pants back on. Put them okay. on. All right. Dad, after after Mayday, do you think I can I can go down to the big town and start my my career? My career of being a famous a famous dancing pop star? Jimmy. Jimmy, are you high? What? what? You you are my only son and heir, and you have to take on the role of the farmer. You, Why would you, you can't you can't go dance? Why do you have to break my dreams, Dad? Do you know why, Jimmy? You know why? Why, why my, do you treat me like this? My great great grandfather sat me down on his knee. Yes, <laughs> he was alive when I was a kid. He sat me down on his knee and he looked me 
dead in the eyes with his one good eye. The other one was off wandering somewhere. He looked me dead in the eye and he said, listen to me. Talk Told to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. You're not my real dad. You're right. <laughs>